Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Spiritual Chemotherapy. Spiritual Chemotherapy, Joshua 7, 13 to 23. And uh, most of you already know we've dealt with a lot of cancer in the church, and a lot of us have all been, many of us have been touched by this. But the basic idea on cancer is that we all have the potential for cancer. It's, it's, in our, it's in the cells in our body, but something happens that sparks and sets off the cells to mutate into cancer. And when that happens, we have to kill those cancer cells. Somehow we have to figure out a way to cut it out or kill it or deal with it somehow. Uh, did I get that right, uh, my experts here? We all pretty much have the potential for, for the cancer. And the, it's the same, we're going to see same spiritually, we have the same thing spiritually. With, we're going to see this for Israel today, and also we're going to apply it to the church, the New Testament church. If you haven't been here, we can get the CDs or go on the podcast, YouTube. But quick review is we've seen Israel having all kinds of victory after victory after victory, but then they fell into sin, and then they found defeat. And why, why did they have this problem? Because they, there was a spiritual cancer a spiritual cancer in the nation of Israel. And the same spiritual cancer can affect us as individuals, can affect our families, can affect our church, can affect our country if we don't face it and deal with it and cut out whatever we need to cut out. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace. We really need it. We need it as a church, but we also need it. Each one of us needs it in a special way individually. Father, we pray for your mercy and grace that whatever needs to be confessed would be confessed. Whatever needs to be cut out would be cut out, Lord, so that you can lead us to victory, so that we can move forward spiritually, so we can experience your blessings in our life. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Joshua 7, I'm going to read the passage first, starting with verse 13. He says, go, Joshua says, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with a devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerites come forward by families and Zimri was taken. Joshua had the family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia... 
200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all all Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Whew. Okay, so verse 13, he talks about consecrating, consecrating. Verse 13, he says, The Lord, uh, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted among you, O Israel, cannot stand, is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Now, why did they all have to consecrate themselves? Just Achan sin, right? Why did they all have to go through this whole rigmarole and deal with this whole issue as a whole nation before God? Because sin is corporate. You see, we sin individually, but it affects others. It affected Israel, and it affects and infects the church when we sin. It also is an issue of, and remember that, it's a, it's a, it affects other people. Also, it's an issue of unity. Just that they, they had to be unified to fight these battles. They had to fight these battles unified. Holiness also took unity. They had to be unified in their holiness. And it's also a warning. When they all have to come together and deal with this all spread out, it wasn't just some little court you know, off to the side with, with Joshua and some of the elders. No, it had to be the whole nation. When that happened, it helped it wasn't just something they read about or heard about or, or something. It was something they all experienced, and it helped to keep them all clean. It warned everybody, the whole nation. It warned them, we have to stay clean. Same thing with us. That's why we have communion services. We all come together, and we, we purify ourselves. Next week, communion, same idea. We all come together. It's a warning to all of us to stay clean. In verse 14, we see that we see God's supernatural selection process take place. Where it says, in the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. And we see that we see God's supernatural selection process. Can you imagine going through this and and knowing you were the guilty one? It had to be horrible. But this is God's supernatural selection process because he didn't just expose the sin and judge it. He didn't just deal with it himself. He had the people go through this whole process. He let the people share in that because it was for them. They were learning something from this. They were learning how serious God's holiness is. They were learning also discernment. They were learning discernment, how to to discern sin. They were learning to detect cancer in the nation of Israel. They were learning to how important it was. God was encouraging them in holiness. And, the, and it says here the Lord would take them one by one and select them. And we're not quite sure how it was done, but very, very likely it was done through the Urim and the Thummim. And the Urim and the Thummim was a breastplate on the high priest's breast. It was a breastplate. And inside, that's how they would make these decisions based on the Urim and the Thummim, which we'll talk about in a minute. It was commanded by God to make big decisions and figure things out. Uh, it was commanded, to, if they, before they went into a battle, before they went into a battle and fought in a battle, they would ask God, do we go to war? Do we fight this nation? And, and God would give them the clear indication. And it was never wrong. If you read the, the Old Testament, you'll see that the, there was never wrong. It was a right 100% of the time because God 
picked this to, to lead the people and, the, and to give them answers. And there was probably inside this breastplate two precious stones, which was called the Urim and the Thummim. Okay, and the the there was two precious stones, and one meant one thing, and one meant another. The Hebrew for these two is for Urim. It's light, and the idea is it brings something to light. For the Thummim, it's the the Hebrew is perfection, and so what. And also one would stand for yes and one would stand for no. Should we go to war? One, yes or no? So here's the idea. As they're selecting these tribes, if they brought out the stone that was the Thummim, that would say perfection. That guy is innocent. He's innocent, no problem. But if it brought out the, the stone came out as the Urim, that meant brought to light. Uh-oh, this is the God. The sin has been brought to light. That's what, that was how they would get the answer. And it's amazing here. You know, two stones, you'd think 50%, right? No, 11 tribes, 11 times it was okay, and the one time it wasn't okay. And then it went by clans, and then it went by... Think of all the times that stone is coming out. The same stone. Same stone coming out, perfection. It's okay. And all of a sudden, there's the stone that means... Something's been brought to light over and over and over again. This is how God would speak to them. Sometimes he used prophets. Sometimes he did, spoke to Moses. But this was what he commanded the high priest to wear to make spiritual decisions at this time. All right. So, verse 15, we see what happens. He says, we see how serious God is about sin. Verse 15, he who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Now remember, this sin caused them defeat. Many people were killed. They were sh- shaken to their core. This is very, very serious. God is serious about sin. This is very important for us in our society today. You know, we kind of like don't think much of it. But there are serious consequences for sin both here on earth and eternally someday. Very, very important picture that we're seeing here. And then we see what happens when they do the selection, verse 16. In the morning, no, no, I'm sorry, reading the early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. Judah, the top tribe, the line of Judah, the tribe that... King David came out of the tribe that Jesus, the Messiah, was to come out of. It's interesting that it was the, the top tribe. And, and we see a picture even that, that many times God humbles. God humbles the, the, the most proud tribe. And we also see that no family is untouched by sin and the consequences of sin, are we? Everyone, every family, no matter how, whether you're Jonathan Edwards, you know, Charles Spurgeon, you know, whoever we are, Billy Graham, whoever we are, it doesn't matter. Every one of our families is touched by the consequences of sin, the effects of sin. Verse 17, the clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. God always gets his man. (laughs) He always gets his man. It's amazing here. Amazing that Achan went through this process. Isn't it? I mean, think about it. But it's amazing, but he's in denial, isn't he? 
He's in denial, just like so many of us. <laughs> Any of us in denial? <laughs> All of us, right? Many times we deceive even ourselves. We're, we're in some, we have some sin in life. We deceive even ourselves with that sin. It's amazing. I, I, sometimes I'm shocked. God will expose something in my heart and in my mind, in my life, and I'll be like, <gasps> I've been deceiving even myself with that. And finally, God shows me what's really in my heart or what's really behind a motive or what's really going on. <laughs> it happens far too often. We deceive even ourselves. And many times we have a problem. Many people, I'll just, many people have a problem that's destroying them, that's destroying their family, but they won't listen to their family and friends. They won't listen, even though everyone else can see it. I've, I've been involved in some interventions before, and, and we get together with someone who's being destroyed by some sin in their life, and everybody's there. Wives and kids and best friends and moms and dads and brothers and employers. Everybody's there. Church people. And we try to plead with the person to give up what's killing them. And often it works. Often they're touched and they go do what they have to do to get their healing. But it's shocking sometimes when people say, I'm not going. I can't give up that much time or I can't spend that much money or, or I don't want to. What, what, usually what's at the base of it, they don't want to give it up. Whatever it is, is killing them. And it's often a drug or alcohol. But it could be anything. It could be food. It could be sex. It could be anything. Anything could be destroying them. But it's shocking when people will not give it up because they don't want to give up the sin. The bottom line is they don't want to give it up. They love that sin. It's killing them, but they won't give it up. And and that's what happened here with Achan. It was destroying him. He could have come forward a lot earlier and probably avoided some serious consequences, which we'll see. But But many others... And as a pastor, and even in my own life, I deal with stuff myself, and many others, as I deal with stuff, they're clearly guilty of something. Clearly guilty of something that's, that's hurting them, or hurting their family, or, or hurting the, their witness in the church. But, but they won't, even when it's clearly caught, and there's all these witnesses, they won't admit it. It's kind of like the diary of the wimpy kid. Have you ever seen the Roderick one, the Roderick, Brother Roderick? Remember his, what he said? He told his little brother Greg deny, deny, deny. And no matter what they got caught, they would just deny, deny. It was, it was funny in Wimpy Kid, but it's sad in real life, right? You know, because there's, there's consequences in the Wimpy Kid. There's more serious consequences in real life. And, and th- but so many times we, there's that total denial. We saw it with this, what happened last couple weeks with this whole murder, the four guys murdered. Remember the guy who got, who got finally caught? At the beginning, I didn't do it, right? And his lawyer, remember the lawyer? Oh, these that defense lawyer would make me mad. He's like, he, why are you picking on my client? He's done nothing wrong. He's completely innocent. So what if he had a gun illegally? That wasn't, you know, it was a mistake. You, why are you you're jumping to, you know, said all these things, hammering the poor policeman, you know, ripping the police force. And I'm like, and I was like, ooh. And finally, finally, it kept going. And he kept saying this until the bodies were found. And there was no way out. And then he said, oh, let's make a deal. You know, isn't it? I just hate that part of our justice system, right? But, but let's make a deal. So many times that's what we do with our sin, and that's what we see happen. My, my brother was a correctional officer. He's retired now, but he was a correctional officer, and he said, I've been around thousands of prisoners, and guess what? 
They're all innocent. Every one of them. I've never met someone in prison who said he was guilty. Never. They're all innocent. Now, we know some are. That comes out. People are unjustly convicted and DNA shows that and whatever. But let's face it. The majority aren't innocent, right? But every one of them is innocent. And that's, that's what... That's that whole denial when we're facing, when we're facing our sin, is that, that denial. Why don't we come clean? Why won't we repent? Why? Many times it's our pride, right? It's our pride. We don't want to admit we're wrong about something, we did something wrong. It's our pride. Sometimes it's shame. We don't want anybody to know what we really did. Sometimes we like our sin. And this is usually the biggest one. We like our sin, right? We, we want to hang on to that sin. We know it's killing us. We know we're not enjoying it anymore. But for some reason, we hang on to that. We want to hang on to that sin. I know I'm the same way. I'm not judging anybody, but I'm trying to help people. It's shocking the, the backflips they'll do and the sneaky ways they'll do just to hang on to whatever that sin is. They'll do anything to keep that sin. Anything. They'll come up with the craziest stories and the, blame everybody else and everything else just to hang on to that sin. You probably don't know anybody like that, do you? But anyway, uh, so, the, but that, that's what we do. Some, sometimes it's because of fear. We don't want to, we don't come clean because of fear. Some, sometimes it's we lack faith because we're like, we lack faith in God's mercy and grace. We can't believe God would really forgive us. And really help us overcome this. We can't believe the body of Christ would really understand this. And really forget about it once we move on. We, 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 we lack that faith sometimes. But we see Achan here. Achan finally breaks. He finally breaks. In verse 19, it says, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Joshua says, give God the glory. How is giving, admitting this giving God the glory? Because by admitting what he had done, he acknowledges God's holiness and justice. He acknowledges God's power and his omniscience. That's what he's, he's, he's admitting by admitting this sin here. When, when we sin and hide it, what are we really saying? God can't see this. Or God can't do anything about it, won't do anything about it. That's what we do when we sin. And we talked about that last week when we, God waits <laughs> in his mercy. But when we sin, that's what we're saying. But by giving God glory, he's admitting God's power and holiness here. Then in verse 20 and 21, listen to what happens. Achan replied, it's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw... In the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonian, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now, later on, we're going to see as they take cities, they're allowed to keep the plunder. But remember this one, God had commanded them not to keep the plunder. This was all devoted to destruction because they were giving everything in Jericho to God. It's the first city taken. So it was sin that he took it here. But... He finally here admits, he finally breaks and he admits it. But the problem is, he waited till he got caught. Many won't confess until they have no choice. Until they can't weasel out of something and then they admit it. 
When that happens, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of faith that it's real. Right? Who do you think is real about something? Those who repent without getting caught, they're the ones who give me hope that it's real. If, if one of my kids, if I catch them doing something and they confess, oh, yeah, okay, I did it. That doesn't give, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, they really understand what they've done. But the one who comes and says, you know, with tears, I did something, I've got to tell you about it. You know, we have certain kids that do that. You go up at night to tuck them in and they're like crying. What's the matter? I did something really bad. It turns out it wasn't much. But they're so sensitive, which is great, you know. Others, you got to, you know, can't get it out of them no matter what. You show them the evidence and they still won't break, right? You know, and, and but the one, when we, when, when someone comes clean, when we come clean without being, getting caught, that is a sign that we are really, there's a lot more hope that, that we're serious about it. But when, when someone, when we won't re- admit it until we have no way out, that's usually not a good sign that there's real repentance there, is it? Verse 22 to 23, he says, So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden in the tent with a silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua, and all the, and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. So, he hid them. He hid these things. It says, he said he buried them. A couple verses before, he said he buried them. If you bury something in the ground, are you enjoying it? If you bury something, you know, let's say you buy a new car, and you're going to drive that, new, you bury it under the ground. Did you get to enjoy that car? Buy new golf clubs, bury them in the ground. Did you get to enjoy them? Did he or his family get to enjoy it? And probably we're going to see the consequences next week. Probably the whole family knew about it. They were all in on it together very clearly here. Did he or his family get to enjoy this stuff? No, it was buried. (laughs) It was under the dirt, you know. Hidden sin. We never really enjoy hidden sin, do we? Well, first of all, we never really enjoy sin because sin never delivers what it promises. We know that already. But even if, even if it did, you wouldn't get to enjoy it because when we bury something, whatever we hide and bury, we, whatever it is in our life, we don't get to enjoy it. No one else gets to enjoy it either. And, and there's an important lesson for us there. that It's not going to deliver. And also... Here's another hint. Anything that we have to hide from other people is probably sin. Could be even something that's okay, really. But if we feel like we have to hide it, what does that make it? Sin. If we have to hide it from our wife or our husband, if we have to hide it from our family, if we have to hide it from our pastor, other Christians in the church, it's probably sin. That's a good sign. Next week, we're going to see that Achan was killed. It's going to be a really, really tough passage to look at next week. These lessons in the book of Joshua, these Old Testament lessons, have spiritual application for us in the New Testament today. This is for us. Don't think, oh, those Old Testament stories aren't for anything. No, no. They're for us today. 1 Corinthians 10 says this. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11... 
talking about warnings from Israel's history. These are warnings from Israel's history here in this chapter. In verse 11 he says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Paul says they were written for us. Israel was written for the church. It was warnings for us. And there are very important lessons here in the book of Joshua, especially here chapter 7, on holiness. It's still our duty to seriously deal with sin. But there are differences too. We're not called to kill. (laughs) Wait till you see what happens to Achan. It's a horrible thing. We're not called to kill anyone, but we are called to do spiritual chemotherapy. Spiritual chemotherapy. It's called church discipline. Church discipline is vital. It's vital, but it's sadly neglected. And that's why many individuals are suffering because their churches didn't do church discipline. Many families are going through horrible times because, same reason, many churches are suffering because the church has not done church discipline, which the Bible clearly, clearly teaches. That's why the church in America is such a mess. Do you know one of the signs of revival usually is the churches begin to use, begin to uh, practice church discipline again? That's why the church is such a mess in America. That's why the country is such a mess. The country is going down the toilet very quickly here, spiritually. We're in big, big trouble. But the reason is, is because the church isn't being the church. If the church was the church, there would be hope. But there will be no spiritual awakening in the country until there's a revival in the church. And there will be no revival in the church until we take holiness and and church discipline very, very seriously. We're not the KGB or anything like that, but but it's helping people. I'll, I'll give you an example. Here's a husband who's a dad, and I'll just give you an example, and, and you probably all know stories like this, but, but here's a husband and dad who has an addictive sin. Notice I didn't say disease, and it's an addictive sin in his life, and it's destroying the family. It could be gambling, could be, you know, you, you can name it. You've probably all seen this kind of thing happen, but it's destroying the family. The church must practice church discipline to bring that person to their senses. If they don't, this, this dad is going to keep on going, father's going to keep on going, husband's going to keep on going, and it's going to end up destroying the family. I've seen it many, many times. Whereas for the church, it just stepped in and practiced discipline. Often, the, the, the person will come to their senses and, and get their healing, repent, get their healing, and the family can be restored. This, the same thing happens when, when someone's sin is affecting a church. But it's shocking how rarely... It's done in a church. I'll give you another example. I had a friend, different state. Uh, he took over pastoring, and, and it was a church was struggling, but he felt God leading him to take over this church. And he told me this story. I couldn't believe it. He came in, and he just takes over this church, and he gets the shock of his life. It turns out that one of the Sunday school teachers, the main Sunday school teacher, children's church, was a convicted murderer. He had murdered his wife. But, and that's okay, you can be convicted of murder and serve your sentence and become the Christ and become a teacher. That's not what I'm talking about. But this guy never served a sentence. He got out on a technicality. He murdered his wife, got convicted, got out on a technicality, but there was a new trial. He was, they gave him a new trial because they're going to try to convict him again without the technicality. But in the meantime, he came into this church and he was this, his family's from this church and he was teaching children Sunday school. Oh, and by the way, he was also living with this new girlfriend. 
So, my friend, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? But you'd be shocked at how much this happens. My friend went to him and said, listen, uh, <laughs> this is kind of awkward. But I was thinking, I'm not saying you're guilty or anything, you know. But, uh, you know, maybe it would be good if you'd step down from teaching Sunday school until after the new trial is completed. Reasonable, right? He said, oh, what are you saying? I'm not, you can't do that to me. You're, you know, you call me a murderer and blah, blah, blah. And, and then his family all jumped down and on the train. They all jumped on his side. Then he went to all their friends in the church. Turns out they split the church. They took half the church out of, out with them because they were mad that this pastor had the nerve to say he should step down from teaching Sunday school until the murder trial was completed. Split the church. So he went to a new church. And at the new church, turns out he was teaching children Sunday school again. Because the other new church didn't do church discipline. They just let him come on in and teach children Sunday school until he was convicted of murder again and went to prison. Isn't that crazy? But I could tell you story after story after story over and over again. I could tell you stories about people we've done the discipline process with. They've gone on to the next church. The next church welcomed them in with open arms and said, how dare they do that to you? When there's a serious pattern of sin, which is hurting someone, it's not for every little thing, but there's something that's really hurting someone, or it's hurting their family, or it's hurting their witness, we are called to practice church discipline. If we care about that person, we will. In 1 Corinthians 5, we're already in 1 Corinthians here, in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, Paul, this is what he says, He says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And he was talking about a very specific wicked man who was in sexual sin here. But unlike, that's what we're called to do as a church. There's steps, which we'll talk about in just a minute here. We don't just throw someone out. You know, there's steps. But, but that's, what, that's what the church is called to do. But unlike with Achan, who was killed, we'll see that in a little bit, this cutting off has a positive goal in mind. In fact, in this particular case, it was a positive. In 2 Corinthians 6, now listen to the, the outcome of this. In 2 Corinthians 6, I'm sorry, first, 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6, he says this, If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he is... Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm verse ahead. Verse 6. Verse six. Uh, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. And I believe it's the same person Paul's talking about here. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. You see, when someone comes to repentance, then the church 
reaffirms their love and they're just thrilled to have them back and it's forgotten and, 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 and everybody moves on. There's no gossip, there's no anything. It's just, it's forgotten. That's the beautiful part. The, the, the goal of cutting off is to bring them back to their senses and bring them back into the body of Christ. And the steps are real clear. In Matthew 18, it talks about the steps on doing this. In Matthew 18, verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. Step one. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. That's the whole goal, right? Verse 16, but if you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So we see the whole, the steps are, the steps toward reconciliation, the steps toward church discipline, but once again it's vital that this is done in love. Even when it's really bad and it's hard sometimes when they're attacking you and all that, but you still stick to the love. It's vital to do it in love because that's the whole goal of, of church discipline is not to hurt somebody, not to punish them, it's to help them. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What is that law? It's the law of love. We do it because we love somebody. We, we care about them. That's, and it's often hard because it's tough love, isn't it? You ever do tough love with your kids? <laughs> If you haven't, you aren't doing a good job as a parent, right? Uh, if you've never done tough, tough love, it's, it's tough to do tough love. But it's just like with kids. If we really love them, we're going to do that tough love to bring them to their senses and bring them back and restore them to the family, restore them to, to, to God. And it's very, very important to take these steps. How about us? Are we practicing spiritual chemo? Church discipline, will, will we be obedient? Will we take it seriously? Will we love people enough to do it? Yes. <laughs> we, do, we do use church discipline. Most of you don't know because usually by just, by just approaching with a small group, we can deal with stuff. But, but, but it's important to do that. If, if someone had a disease that was killing them, they didn't know they had this disease. They couldn't see it. We could just see it. It's on their forehead, you know? And they couldn't see it. And you say... I want to point this out, this thing on the forehead here that's killing them, but I know they're going to be mad at me because they're real vain about that forehead, right? Yeah, but, but what would you do? I can't say it. They're going to be mad at me. No, you would tell them because you know it's going to kill them. And that's the same thing here. We know they might get mad at us, but if we don't tell them, it's going to kill them and it's going to spread. That's the whole idea behind church discipline. Today, so often, we're taught to just accept everybody, just accept everything. Tolerance, 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 right? No, that's not love. Real love is to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth in love, even at the risk of somebody being upset with us. Even at the risk of that. Also, if, if you are disciplined, if I'm disciplined, if any of us are disciplined, how are we going to respond to that? Will we submit, will we repent, or will we blow out, blow out of the church, blow out of the relationships, carry that cancer to a new church? That's what so often happens. You discipline someone, and they get mad, and they just blow out, and they carry it to another church, and then they carry that cancer to another church because they won't submit to that. But will we do that, or will we, will we repent and submit? If we're asked to stand firm, if I say to, 
to you as a church body, or I just say to some individuals, listen, this person's under church discipline. You can't have any you know, relationship with them right now until they come to their senses. Will you submit to that? Will you, will you even, if, even if it takes a long time for them to come back, will you submit? Will you, will you take the warning from that? Sometimes someone will say to me, and I've had people say this right to my face, I'm not going to listen to you. That person's my friend, and, and I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I say to them, well, you don't love them then. You don't really care about them. And that's what I say. But the person who says, the people who have said that to me in the past, there's usually something that has been exposed a short time later in their life that they blew out over. And that's why they were hanging on to it. That's what, I've seen it over and over and over again. We, we all have to, to take this seriously. If we really care about someone, we'll, we'll follow what God's word says about this. But we're hoping the whole time they come back. We're praying for them to come back. We're, we're, and when they do come back, we're not, go, we're not judging them. We're not gossiping about them. We're praying for them, realizing it could be me, and it has been all of us, right? And, and when they come back, we restore them in love. In love. We, we do this because we love people. That's got to be done by love. Same as a parent, same with a church family. I've seen both sides of church discipline. I've seen the hardening of the heart where the person says, I won't listen, and they've gone on, and, and, I've, and it's been so sad. I could tell you sad story after sad story. I could tell you about people come back to me and said, I'm coming back to say I'm sorry, Chuck. I know you as a pastor. You're just trying to help me now. And I didn't listen, and it destroyed everything. It just, I don't have a marriage. I don't have family anymore. I don't have my job. I don't have any. Uh, com- lives completely destroyed. They come back and said, I'm sorry. Years later, I'm sorry. I, I have to, God's telling me I have to tell you I'm sorry. At least I can make it right with you. I've seen those sad stories, but I've also seen many who have repented. Many, the majority, have repented and been restored and found healing and it's an awesome thing. It's beautiful because we all need discipline at some point, don't we? You know? But, but either way, no matter what the person does, either way, we do what we're called to do. And in many cases, and in many cases, even if the person doesn't repent, the church was protected from a spiritual cancer. Many t- some, some of the people that wouldn't repent and wouldn't turn back, I've seen them go on and spread the cancer to a new church or a new situation. And a lot, some of you know what I'm talking about. It, it's, it's been sad to see. Is there hidden sin in our life? Is God convicting us of, of something that's hurting us or hurting those around us or hurting the, somebody or hurting the body of Christ? Is God convicting, convicting us of something? Don't wait for church discipline. <laughs> Don't wait for it to get that bad. Don't wait for God's discipline. I'm encouraging us... Myself first, I'm encouraging us to repent and come to God for his mercy and grace now. Don't wait for a more severe discipline. Let's just come to God and, and, and come voluntarily for his mercy and grace. Achan, I really believe no matter what, Achan, if he had just come clean, when he first stole it, everything would have been okay. If he had just come to God for his mercy and grace, don't wait. We understand in the body of Christ, we all need mercy and grace. Maybe you're here today and you realize there's some, you're in denial some way. You won't stop or you won't repent. Maybe it's because of pride or shame or fear or lack of faith. Don't let that stop 
us from really saying, God, what am I in denial of? What do I need to deal with in my life? What do we need to go to God? Because no matter what it is, 1 John 1, 9. I hope you memorized that last week. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. No matter what you carried in this morning, confess it. God will forgive us. God will cleanse us. No matter what it is. And if something's too strong, remember I talked about it last week, if something's too strong, find another Christian that you can trust and confess it to them and, and have them help you, encourage you, help you with that. Remember we talked about that last week? If you weren't here last week, listen to that one. But, but God is waiting. He's just, he's not doing all this. He's not this, a lot of us grew up with this idea of God is waiting to zap people. You know, you're on the golf course and you curse and he sends a lightning bolt down. You know what I mean? We just grew up with it. God's just waiting to do, punish us. That's not true. God loves us. And he's just waiting to turn us back from the sin that is killing us. God's not the one. It's the sin that's hurting us. It's hurting others. That, he just wants us to come back. He loves us. That's what John 3.16 is all about. And maybe you've never acted on his love. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. I hope you do it today. God loves us. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. Because of that love. He's not always mad at us and wanting to smash us. He's, he's always trying to bring us closer to him and get rid of whatever is in the way, whatever is hurting us, and bring us closer to him so that we can experience that love relationship. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ taken God's love, acted on God's love, and received your forgiveness. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to us? Maybe you've never acted on God's love. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never had your sins forgiven once and for all. Past sins, present sins, future sins, completely wiped away in God's sight. So that you can have a close relationship with God as your father. You've never made God your father by putting your faith in his son. Jesus died for us on that cross to pay for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be washed clean, so that we could be given a new life in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus? The word believe is an intellectual. It means to put your faith in it. It's something that's done in the heart. It means to put your trust in, your hope in, your faith in. You can do that right now. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter how bad something it was, no matter how big the mistakes, the sins, we all have those, every one of us. But God will forgive it if we put our faith in his son Jesus. 
It will all be washed away at the cross. It just takes a prayer of faith. God, please forgive me. I repent of everything I've ever done that goes against your word and your will for my life. I repent of that. Please forgive me. I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ, your son. I know he died for my sin in my place. I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, something amazing has happened to you. When God looks at you now, he no longer sees anything wrong you've ever done in your life or ever will do. He only sees his son Jesus in you. The righteousness of Jesus. Because his blood has washed us clean. And you don't have to carry that guilt and that shame and that fear anymore because it's gone. It's under the cross. It's nailed to the cross. You can now begin to live a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you've given your life to Jesus, say that you tell somebody, maybe you tell me on the way out or fill out the card or if you're here with family or friends or someone, let someone know so that we can encourage you and, and, and be excited for you and help you in your new life in Christ, realizing who you are now. Make sure you tell somebody. For the rest of us here as we close in worship today, what do we need to take back to the cross? What, what are we struggling with? What shame, what sin, what, what hidden denial is God exposing in our hearts through his Holy Spirit's conviction today? God didn't save us just to go to heaven someday. He set us free to live a new life here and now. And we can come to the cross For the blood of Christ every day to remember what we've already been forgiven of and been set free from. We can go to the throne of grace every day for God's mercy and grace. Father, I pray that each one of us, whatever we're struggling with, Lord, that we won't surrender to that, but we will surrender to you. I pray that every one of us would come to the, to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace every day, all day long, Father. Finding our freedom in Christ and our victory in Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's something we're hanging on to, some lie, some sin, some addiction, Father, 
that you would convict us deeply. That we'd confess it to you and even to another person if that's what it takes. Whatever it takes to find our freedom in Christ. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.